In your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians, the first chapter. Our air conditioner is doing everything it can do, and uh, it's got it pretty comfortable in here. Uh, if you do get a little warm, if, if fellas, you have a jacket, you can take that off or get a fan and fan yourself. Uh, these are unbelievably hot days. And I shared with somebody, we came home Friday. Uh, we were in the southern part of South Carolina, <laughs> almost in Georgia. And when we left, it was 100 degrees coming through South Carolina. Got into North Carolina, it went to 102 in North Carolina. That's the reading on our car, and our car is usually pretty accurate. And uh, yesterday, I, my wife came home about 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and I was out riding the tractor and getting the yard done, and she said, don't you realize it's 100 degrees out here? And uh, so we're having very, very hot days. I know some of you were anxious to see this come. Some of us were dreading it. Uh, I melt in the heat. My wife loves it. She says, Lord has a sense of humor putting us together like that. We had a great trip. People have said, how was your trip? It was great. It was kind of uneventful. Uh, the place where we went, there wasn't a lot of activity. Um, we had some friends meet us there, and we did several things. But just had a time to be away, get away, but it's good to be back. We're in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 27 through 30, and uh, follow along with me as I read. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Paul writes here, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. And let's pray. Lord, once again, we ask for your blessing. We ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. You said your word would not return unto you void, and we hold you to that promise. I pray that you would work in the hearts of these folks that have gathered here this morning, as only your Holy Spirit can. Once again, if there's anyone in our midst not saved, that today would be their day of salvation. And for every saved person here this morning, that we would be open to you. We would be receptive of what you have for us. Lord, speak to us now and, and help us to have attentive ears. I pray that you give me strength of voice and, and clarity of thought to deliver the message. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I title this, Living Like a Real Deal Christian. Living Like a Real Deal Christian. I want to call your attention to verse 27. In part A there, in verse 27, he says, only let your conversation, now he's not talking about your language, 
He's talking about your lifestyle. He says, only let your conversation or your lifestyle be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now, one of the greatest enemies of Christianity today is hypocrisy. By the word Christianity, I'm referring to true Bible-believing Christianity. How often have we attempted to share the gospel with a lost person only to have them refuse our witness because of the hypocrisy they observed in some other believer's life? How many times have we tried to invite someone to church and were turned down because there are too many hypocrites in the church? How often have we ourselves been hurt, frustrated, and disappointed by the hypocrisy we've observed? we've observed in the lives of other professed Christians. A simple definition of hypocrisy is to pretend to be what one is not or to pretend to believe something one really doesn't believe. The hypocrisy that is so hurtful to Christianity is that of professed believers who act or behave in ways unbecoming to believers. In our text for today, the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers in, in Philippi. Paul was a prisoner in Rome, but as revealed here, he hopes to one day be able to come to Philippi again to fellowship with the believers there. In verse 27, we've read where he gives a strong admonition to them, saying that whether he's able to come to them or not, they must maintain a testimony of living lives that are becoming of the gospel of Christ. Now the word becometh as it's used there means to be adorning, means to be fitting, means to be complementary to something. I thought about sometimes uh, when our wives get dressed and they have on a nice dress, we say that dress becomes you. It complements you. Today we as believers need to hear and heed this same admonition. We who claim to be saved must strive to live lives that are fitting, that are complementary to our profession of salvation. How we live must testify to our faith in and love for the Lord Jesus Christ. When others observe our lives and lifestyles, there should be no doubt in their minds that we are truly born-again Christians who love the Lord. And so each of us today must purpose to live a life that is becoming of the gospel of Christ, and I want to share with you some ways we can do that. Number one, we can do that by living a consistent Christian life. In verse 27, the early part, he says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. And uh, we need to be consistent in our Christian life. He says there, uh, we need to stand fast uh, in our Christian life. Uh, that means we need to be consistent in the areas of our Christian life, consistent in our doctrine. There should be no wavering, no changing, no compromise of our beliefs. Uh, we don't need to change our belief in the Scriptures. We have the Bible, we have the inerrant, infallible, inspired, divinely preserved word and words of the Lord right in our hands. We don't need to change it. We visited a church on Sunday, and it was the only church we could really find to go to. It wasn't my first choice, but they used a different Bible. 
And as, as the preacher was reading from his different Bible, I thought, how confusing this is. You know, if, if, if we have one Bible uh, that says one thing and a different so-called Bible that says another, one of them's got to be wrong. It can't both be right. I settled the issue a long time ago. I'm a King James Bible believer. And uh, I don't care what the intelligentsia, that's, you know, those of higher learning, say that we're just ignorant people. No, we're just scriptural believing people. And I have the Bible just like God wants me to have it. I'm not about to change. Listen, as long as I'm the pastor, you don't ever have to worry about coming here and finding out we went over to the NIV or the ESV or the ABC or whatever version it is. It's not going to happen. Because I believe this is the word of God in the English language, just like God wants us to have it. And we're not changing. We need to, to not waver and change when it comes to our scriptures and our, and our eternal security. Listen, I believe once saved, always saved. I got saved way back in February 1974. I've been saved ever since. And I'll be saved till the day I die. You say, how do you know that? Because I got in Jesus Christ, and the Bible said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. I got saved. I got born again. I got Jesus living in me. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye might know that ye have eternal life. I know I have eternal life. Listen, there's nothing I can do to get unsaved. Uh, for me to get unsaved would be saying you can unborn somebody. No, that can't happen. I can't get unsaved. I'm as saved as, as could be. And uh, you say, well, well, what if you backslide? Well, I'll be saved and backslidden. Amen? That's just what the Bible teaches. I feel sorry for these folks who believe they can lose their salvation or that somehow they can send it away. I settled a long time ago. My preacher taught me I didn't do anything to get it. I can't do anything to lose it. It's all by grace, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I just got in on that, and I'm thankful, and I'm going to stand there. I'm going to stand firm and fast in my beliefs on separation. I know some of you get real upset with me when I preach on separation. Well, if you'd get your heart right and get your life right, you wouldn't be upset with me when I preach on biblical separation. Listen, friend, I believe this book calls for Christians to be different from the world. We need to separate from worldliness. When I preach against the casino, when I preach against women dressing like men, when I preach against the mixed swimming down there at the beach house, when I preach against drinking the, the occasional glass of wine or that occasional Budweiser, when I preach against those kind of things, I know there's some Christians who get upset. Well, you go ahead and get upset. I'm just going to keep preaching what I believe the Bible says. You know, Dr. Jack Howes used to say, if you're rubbing the fur the wrong way, turn the cat around. Amen? <laughs> Listen, you can get mad at me all you want to. You're not going to change what I believe and what I see in these scriptures. What you need to do is line your life up with it. Amen? Well, let me move on. I made a lot of enemies there, so I'll just go ahead. I'm not about to change in my doctrine. I'm not about to change in my beliefs on Scripture and security and separation. And uh, we need to be con consistent in our doctrine and consistent in our conduct. We need to live like believers 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 
you know, this thing of coming to church and acting like a Christian and then going out after church and acting like the world, that's hypocrisy. And it shouldn't be a part of our life. We shouldn't be double-minded. James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. We shouldn't, we shouldn't have situation ethics. That means we behave according to what the situation is. No, 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 no. We don't behave according to the situation. We behave according to what does the Word of God say. Amen. And uh, we just need to be that way. We, we need to live what we say we believe. And, uh, you know, the liberals get mad at us when we say we, we need to live the, uh, what we say we believe, and they call us legalists. We're not legalists. The proper definition of legalism is adding works to salvation. We don't do that. Once again, we believe it's by grace and through faith you get saved. Not of works, nothing we do. It's all by God's grace. But we do believe in works because you're saved. James says, faith without works is dead. So we, we very much believe that we need to get our nose in this book and find out what works God wants us to do, how God wants us to live, and line our, our lives up accordingly. Be consistent in our conduct. Uh, when our lives should, should, should broadcast, if you will. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. Our lives should broadcast the fact that I'm a Christian. It shouldn't take people very long at all being around you to figure out there's something different about you. Amen? And if they can't, you need to check up on what's going on in your life and uh, take care of the situation. And then we need to be consistent in our convictions. We shouldn't be swayed by carnal believers. Carnal believers want to pull us down. They want to pull us to their level. No, no, a thousand times no. I'm trying to pull them up. And uh, carnal believers, they don't have any separation. They don't have any standards in their life. We need to not be swayed by popular practices and uh, different things that are going on. You know, too many believers today are failing to stand fast. They need to abandon the uh, they want to abandon the former things and the former practices. Many believers today are bending and compromising what they once uh, claimed to believe. I hear about so many churches going over to these new versions of the Bible, going over to this contemporary music, going over, oh, here's, here's the latest thing, the uh, casual worship. We experienced it last Sunday. The church we went to is into casual worship. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, number one, it's evidenced in their dress. Listen, if all you own is a pair of Bermuda shorts and a tank top, if that's all you have in your wardrobe, wear it to church. But if you've got better than that, wear better than that. You know, how you dress for church indicates uh, your attitude towards church and the Lord. We're not casual about it. We think this is serious business. You know, I believe there's a certain amount of respect we show to the Lord when we dress properly for church. Amen? Now, I'm not trying to be critical, but I just, I can't understand this. We, we had ushers last week who were wearing Bermuda shorts. Ushers. The preacher preached in a, in a pullover. Well, if that's your bag, have at it, but it's not mine. I believe there's a certain amount of respect shown by how we dress for church and our approach to church. We don't have a casual approach. 
As I said, this is serious business. This is the Lord's business, and we ought to see it as such. We need to, we need to live a life becoming of the gospel of Christ, number one, by living a con consistent life. Number two, by practicing cooperation for the cause of Christ. He says here, Paul says, stand fast in one spirit with one mind. You know, each of us needs to strive to keep the unity of the spirit. The devil loves nothing better than to get division and strife in a church. He understands that if he can get people focused on other people in the church, they're not going to be focused on unsaved people out there. Churches that have all the infighting are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And so we need to be on guard against that. We need to stand fast in one spirit, he says, with one mind. Unity of the spirit. Uh, broken, uh, we need to be stand on, uh, on guard against division and strife among the brethren. Broken relationships, hard feelings, division, discord. We need to strive to avoid causing division and strife. We need to be kind. We need to be long-suffering. I was teaching on that in Sunday school. We need to be forgiving of others, not critical, not judgmental. Can I, can I ask you this question? I'm going to ask you anyway, so I'm going to ask you this question. Uh, are you perfect? I'm letting you think about that. Are you perfect? There's not a perfect person in here. So when you decide to start picking out the faults of other people, remember, you have some of your own. And you'd be a lot better off if you take care of your own than try to fix somebody else. Right. Amen. And when you get a critical spirit about somebody else, remember, you're not perfect either. Hmm? Have some long-suffering and show some kindness. I remember our church in Gastonia. We were there five years and the whole time we were there, there was like an undertow in the church. There were some people there to harbor ill feelings towards others in the church on issues that had happened before I ever got there, and some of them after I got there. But there was division. There was, there was always this, this contentious atmosphere. And listen, the church can't do what it's supposed to do when it's like that. We need to strive to eliminate any strife and discord. That means... We need, to, we need to learn how to make apologies when we've offended somebody. Hmm? So often we just want to kind of sweep it under the carpet. And, oh, they'll get over it. No, if you've wronged somebody, you need to go and beg forgiveness and set the, set the situation right and correct. Some people, they just want to say, well, let's bury the hatchet and go on. No, you need to confess. And you need, to, you, need, you need to make right with somebody uh, when you've wronged them. Make apologies. Refuse to entertain gossip and criticism. Hmm. Listen, somebody gets you aside and they want to criticize the preacher. I've said this over and over again. If somebody calls you aside and wants to criticize the preacher, uh, just tell them, well, why don't we go talk to the preacher about it? Hmm? If they want to criticize somebody, say, hey, I don't listen to that kind of stuff. I don't want your poison on me. Hmm? I said there's nobody perfect in this room. And somebody could find fault with every one of us. 
Don't be that person who's looking for the faults. We need to forgive quickly. We need to refuse to be easily offended. <coughs> Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. I told you about the fellow who called uh, in Gastonia, and uh, no, I'm sorry, he came by. He was bringing his missions bank and his tithing envelopes and whatever else he had, and he was turning them in because he was leaving the church. I said, my goodness, why in the world would you leave the church? Well, I'm offended Mr. So-and-so didn't even shake my hand in the fellowship song. Left the church over that. Listen, friend, we need to have a thick skin. Huh? We need to have alligator hide. That means we don't get offended at every little thing. Hmm? We have a forgiving spirit about us. And then we need to strive to be of one mind, one mind in our purpose, to live for the Lord and serve the Lord and die to ourselves, that it's not about me, it's about him. We need to have one mind in our purpose and one mind in our message, and that's that Jesus saves. We need to have one mind in the fact that people need Christ. And then we need to have one mind in our goals. What is your goal for your life? Oh, better job, bigger house, nicer car. Those aren't the goals we should be striving for. I mean, there's nothing wrong with those things, but the goals of our life ought to be spiritual goals, to be used of the Lord, to be a better Christian today than I was yesterday. We need to strive to be of one mind, of one message, one purpose, one goal. There should be unity among believers. We need to strive together, he says. We need to strive together. The body of Christ is made up of many parts. Each part plays an important role in, the order and to, in order for the body to function properly. Each, each member needs to be cooperating and doing their part. You know, I thought about this. One time years ago, I had a, a Buick Skylark. I love that car. 1965 Buick Skylark. We bought it, it was three years old, had low mileage, uh, very nice car. Had a 310 Wildcat engine, which was a good engine. And uh, we had that thing, and one time I was gonna go deer hunting, and so I wanted to make sure the car was all tuned up before I went. It was gonna be about a three and a half hour trip. So I, I, I put new plugs, spark plugs in that car. And uh, I remember I headed out, and I had to go down the turnpike to Harrisburg and then go north, and as I'm going out the turnpike, car's just not running right. I can feel it's just hesitating a little bit and stuff, and something's wrong. And so I got on to deer camp up there, and, and I told uh, my brothers and the fellow we hunt with was there, I, something wrong with my car, I gotta check it out. And uh, we got out there and we started looking at it. And here, come to realize I had crossed two wires. So I had a V8 engine, and in essence, here's what it meant. I was running on six cylinders. Now, the car would run on six cylinders, but it was not efficient, and it was not all it needed to be. Hmm? Now, we switched those wires around on the way home. That baby would hum. It would run just like it was supposed to. But what's that got to do with anything? 
Well, when, when the parts of the body are not in tune with the rest of the body, it doesn't run like it's supposed to. We're supposed to have a unity of spirit and a unity of purpose and a unity of message. We're supposed to function as a body. So we need to be, be living a life that's becoming the gospel of Christ by consistent Christian living, by practicing cooperation in the cause of Christ, and then by having courage in our conflicts for Christ. He says in verse 28, And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you a salvation and that of God. Nothing terrified by your adversaries. It's no secret, and I've said it over and over again, you've read it in your Bible, the Christian life is a life of warfare. In verse 30, he says, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. There's conflict in the Christian life. It ought not to be between Christians. But there is conflict that we're going to experience. And the more we try to live the Christian life, the greater this conflict we face. We have conflict with our flesh. When you got saved, your flesh didn't get saved. You still have that old nature. And there's still a battle every day and all day. The old nature wants you to go its way, and the Holy Spirit wants you to go his way. Paul talks about it in Romans 7. There's this conflict. Does it ever end? Yes, it ends when they bury you. Until then, you're going to fight the battle. Sad thing is, too many are losing the battle. What do you mean? Too many are letting their flesh run their lives. They're letting the flesh call the shots. No, no, no. There's a conflict, and we need to stand firm and fast that we'll not let our flesh determine where we go or what we do. We need to let the Spirit be in control. Paul says that we're to, over in Galatians 5, he says, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. There's a conflict with our flesh. And then there's a conflict with the world. Have you figured out yet we're different from the world? At least we're supposed to be. You know, we were down there in that, in that a Disto Island, it's called. It's just an island off of South Carolina where it's, it's just a vacationing place. And uh, uh, it's, not a, it's not a real worldly place, so to speak, where there's casinos or anything like that. But you can tell it's a worldly place by the dress of the, of the people and the activities of the people. It's a worldly place. And we have to battle that all the time. We live in this world, but we're not to live of this world. And so we battle the world. The world says, come, be like us. And we say, no, 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 I'm not supposed to be like you. And the world tries to draw us to it. And then so we battle the flesh, we battle the world, and then we battle the devil. Go over a couple pages to Ephesians 6. Look at verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness, in high places. And he just said we need, we need to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Listen, we have conflict with the devil. 
Now, let me caution you. I don't believe we individually have conflict with the devil himself. I believe he has bigger fish to fry than us. And there is only one devil. He's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. He's a created being. He can only be at one place at one time. But he has uh, uh, minions who do his bidding. He has the, uh, we call them demons, who, who do his bidding for him. And we, we fight against them. They're warring against us all the time, trying to get us to, to sin and, and to get away from the Lord. And we have to fight that battle. Listen, it's a life of conflict. We have to fight the battles. We shouldn't be surprised or dismayed or discouraged when we're in the battle. We shouldn't cower in fear. Yeah, we have enemies, but we don't need to fear because we're able to, to win the battle. We're not to surrender. We're to fight as soldiers of the Lord. In 2 Timothy 2.3, Paul says we're good soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, I'm glad I can have the victory over the world and over the flesh and over the devil. But I can't have it in myself. I can only have it in Christ. The opposing forces are mighty and many. And our victory is not in our strength or our abilities, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. Go over to 1 Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. And first Corinthians 15, verse 57. Paul writes, "But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ." That's how we can be victors. That's how we can overcome. That's how we can uh, fight the, the battle and win the battle. You see, it's, it's a shame that there are so many Christians that are living defeated lives. Lives that are ruled by their flesh. Lives that are ruled by the world. Lives that are ruled by the devil himself. They fail to fight, rather they surrender. God's desires for every believer to live in spiritual victory. He's made it possible, but we have to fight the battles so that we can be victorious. Fourthly, each of us must live a life becoming of the gospel of Christ by being committed to suffering for the gospel of Christ. This is a hard saying, but the Christian life is going to involve suffering. You know, when Jesus uh, was here, he, he endured a lot of suffering. He took a lot of abuse even before he went to the cross. He was lied on and ridiculed and mocked and all those kinds of things. He was rejected. Then he was abused and beaten, mocked and crucified. We need to expect to suffer because we're believers in Christ. I don't know if you've realized this, but to the unsaved world, Christ is offensive. Hmm? We have the atheist, we have the agnostic, we have the unsaved heathen, and to them, Christ is offensive. When you try to preach Christ to them, uh, they find it offensive. To the unsaved, the gospel message is offensive. You know what I found out? Religious people despise the gospel of grace. 
Just say that again. Religious people despise the gospel of grace. Who was it wanted Jesus crucified? The religious people. Remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all were, were instigating all of that to have Jesus crucified? And I have found in dealing with religious people, they hate the gospel of grace. You see, here's the, here's the issue. People who are religious actually want to have a part in their salvation. See, they want, they want heaven, but they want to do something to earn it, to deserve it. Friend, there's nothing we can do to earn or deserve heaven. There's not enough good works. There's not enough uh, religious things to do that we, could, that we could earn our way to heaven. And Ephesians, when it says, not by works, or, or, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No one, no one is ever going to get to heaven and say to God, I'm here because of what I did. There's only one way, and that's through what Jesus did. But see, religious people want to, say, want to be able to say to God, I'm here because I was a good person. Hey, I think everybody ought to be a good person, but it won't get you to heaven. There's a lot of good people burning in hell right now. They were trusting their good works to get them to heaven. And one second after they died, they realized how wrong they were. Listen, we're going to have conflict and we're going to suffer. And we need to be committed to suffering for the gospel of Christ. Religious people hate Jesus, therefore they're going to hate us. And so they're going to come against us. Over in John 15, 18, Jesus said, they've hated me, and so they're going to hate you. We need, listen, as a believer, we need to expect to be mocked and ridiculed and threatened and intimidated and abused and treated unfairly and discriminated against and unpopular and on and on we could go. We just need to expect that. Why are we so surprised when it happens? Why are we so, so taken aback when somebody rejects us because we're Christian? We need to endure suffering properly. Go over to 1 Peter. I'm going to look at a couple of things in 1 Peter. In chapter 2. Verse 20, Peter says, For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were, we were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. Listen, Jesus never did anything wrong, yet he suffered. And we have to understand, even though we don't do something wrong, we're still going to suffer and, uh, and live with it. In, in 1 Peter 4, verse 14, it says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. Happy are ye. 
Listen, I don't find too many Christians, when they get ridiculed or mocked or, or abused in any way, uh, say, boy, am I glad. But that's what Peter's saying. Hey, happy are ye because your testimony is showing, because you're standing where you need to stand. We need to endure patiently. That means to endure without giving up or persevere. We talked about that in Sunday school. We need to endure expectantly. In chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. And so some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. It shouldn't surprise us. And we need to endure unashamedly. Verse 16, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. We need to bear the cross of Christ. We need to be ready and willing uh, to suffer as a believer for the faith that we have. By the way, we shouldn't suffer as a wrongdoer. Look at verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, as a busybody, and other men's matters. So, we're not. The, we're, listen, we don't glory when we get what we deserve, when we're suffering for wrongdoing. No, no, no. But we can rejoice when we've done right and we're still suffering. Why? We're suffering because of Christ. Each of us must strive to live a life becoming of the gospel of Christ. And we do so by living a consistent Christian life, by practicing cooperation in the cause of Christ, by having courage in our conflicts for Christ, and by being committed to suffering for the gospel of Christ. The question to each of us today is, are you living like a real deal Christian? Are you living a Christian life that's becoming of the gospel of Christ? Don't look at your neighbor. Don't think about somebody else. That question's for you, and only you can answer it. Let's bow our heads for just a minute. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I want to talk to saved people for a minute, people who know for sure they've been saved, they're on their way to heaven. You're saved, you're going to heaven when you die. You've settled the issue. You've accepted Christ. You've been born again. But I want to ask this question. Are you living like a real deal Christian? Does your Christian life, is your Christian life a life that becomes the gospel of Christ? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, how many believers in this room could honestly say, Preacher, I believe my life is a life that's becoming of the gospel of Christ. I believe I'm a real deal Christian. Here's my hand. Would you hold it up high? Hold it up high. God bless you. Put it down. I wonder how many people in this room would say, Preacher, I have not been a real deal Christian. My life has not displayed properly my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has spoken to me today about changes I need to make in my life, that my life would be becoming to the gospel of Christ, that I would be a real deal Christian. And I'm making decisions today that will help me to do that. Here's my hand, preacher. Would you hold it up high? God spoke to me. Hands are going up all over this room. God spoke to me. God spoke to me. 
God spoke to me, preacher. Hands going up all over the room. You put your hands down. One more question. Are you saved? Don't want to close a service without giving people opportunity to come to Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ. You've never called upon him and asked him to save you. And you know right now the Holy Spirit is dealing with your heart and you realize that's what I need. If that's your situation, would you just slip your hand up right now very quickly. Slip your hand up, put it back down. I'm not going to call your name. I'm not, I'm not going to come to where you are or embarrass you in any way. I want to pray for you. You need to be saved, and right now God's speaking to your heart about it. Would you let me pray for you? Let's 